Well, thanks, worship team, for leading us in that time of worship. Thanks, church, for entering into that time of worship. It is good to, to lift high the name of Jesus, and um, it's good to be here together in this way. Uh, for those of you who are new, those of us uh, who are joining here for the first time, welcome. My name is Dan Min, and I serve as the pastor here at ACF, and uh, it is our joy to, to worship, and it's my extra privilege to open up God's Word with you here this morning. If you were with us last week, uh, we kicked off a brand new series called Life in the Wilderness, Life in the Wilderness. And if you weren't here last week, don't worry, you didn't miss out on a whole lot. We just kicked off the series just last week, and so that if you missed that message, it's on our website, it's on Apple Podcast, and you can listen to it or watch it at your own leisure. But we kicked off this series called Life in the Wilderness, and throughout the course of this series, we'll be looking at different Old Testament stories of people who journeyed through a kind of spiritual wilderness. We're going to look at the, the story, the journey of these ancient sojourners, if you will, and we're going to seek to pull some lessons out from these stories. Now, if you've walked with Jesus any length of time, if you call yourself a, a Christian at this point in your, in your journey, uh, you may have gone through a wilderness type of experience. And if you haven't yet, trust me when I say this, you will. <laughs> you will. And I don't say that as a, as a doomsday kind of uh, warning or anything like that. I say that uh, simply to say, uh, dur during your time of walking with Jesus, and I mentioned this last week, God will bring us through these moments of what we have identified as these wilderness seasons, these wilderness experiences, uh, where God uses these moments and times in our lives to deeply shape us, and these end up becoming some of the most important soul-shaping moments in our lives. Now, now... Those of you who are joining us here for the first time, you might be wondering, okay, what's all this wilderness talk about? What do we mean when we say the wilderness? Well, last week we defined the wilderness this way. We'll uh, flash the, uh, the, the definition, our working definition for this series on the screen. We simply said it this way. The wilderness is simply a difficult period of testing or trial marked by a sense of separation from God often accompanied with feelings of isolation, desolation, and great need. What is the wilderness? It's a difficult period of time. It's a period of time that is, that is marked by this sense of testing or trial. And oftentimes you feel this sense of separation from God. Not, not that you're actually separated from God, but during these moments and experiences you feel Maybe on a very palpable level, you feel this sort of detachment from God. And not only do you feel that, you often feel these feelings of isolation, desolation, and great need. Now, I know that's not how you want to start off a Sunday morning on that happy note, right? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't say this as to, to, to say, hey, strap in, and we're going to be on this journey of this, the most depressing series you've ever journeyed through. That is not the point of this series. I don't want this to be just this, this one giant Debbie Downer. The reason we're doing this series is because when you look at these particular stories in the Bible, number one, the wilderness experience seems unavoidable for the Christ follower. It just seems unavoidable. Again, if you walk with Jesus any length of time, you'll know that the wilderness experience is just part of walking with Jesus. It just seems unavoidable. We see it over and over again. God uses these wilderness experiences to shape and mold the people of God. 
And so we will at some point experience these. But number two, we hope, we hope that you don't waste the wilderness season of your life. We hope that you don't waste the wilderness experiences, these opportunities that God brings along our path, though it is hard, though it is difficult, though it is marked by the sense of separation from God, isolation, desolation, and great need. My hope and our hope here together as a church family is that when God brings us through these seasons, that we don't jump ship whereby we short-circuit the process that God is wanting to do in our lives to shape us and mold us into the kinds of people that he wants us to be. There are some lessons that God seeks to teach us that can only be learned in the wilderness. There are certain lessons in our lives that God wants to download into your soul and into our journeys that can only be learned in the wilderness. And that's why we're doing this series because we don't want to live our lives as Jesus followers and then totally miss those moments where God was saying, oh, but you just, you jumped off the roller coaster a little too quick. You jumped off the ship a little too soon. Oh, I was doing something deeply profound, shaping you and molding you. But when things got a little bit hard, you jumped ship. When you look throughout scripture, there are many moments where the people of antiquity, these ancient sojourners, they missed that moment. And, and, and on this side of the Bible, on this side of the Old Testament, you and I have the benefit of saying, we can learn from that. We don't want to be like that. We don't want to do that. And so that's why we're spending some time in this series, The Life in the Wilderness. And so today, we're going to look at one of the most, if not the most, familiar wilderness story in the Old Testament. And that is a story of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. We find the story in the book of Exodus chapter 15. And if you want, you can go ahead and open up the, your Bibles to Exodus chapter 15. Before we get to the text, I want to give you a little bit of context before we dive into this passage. The Israelites, if you don't know this part of the story or, or this part of the Bible, the Israelites were living in captivity under Egyptian rule under the hand of Pharaoh right before this moment. And God would soon raise a leader to lead his people out of Egyptian captivity and out of the, under the hand of Pharaoh. And he was going to lead his people into a land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. And that leader to be raised up was a leader named Moses. God calls Moses to go to Pharaoh and to let God's people go. Long story short, Pharaoh complies uh, after uh, the Egyptians are hit with a series of plagues. Pharaoh finally complies, and he lets the Israelites go. All of this uh, can be found in Exodus chapters 1 through 12. And Moses leads the people out of captivity through the Red Sea with God accompanying the people and the camp through a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night to remind them that God is journeying with them even in the wilderness. Now, there's a whole lesson that can be pulled out from that, that portion of, of the passage in that story. But thus begins the, the journey for the Israelites into the wilderness. Moses leads the people out of captivity, and he is now journeying with the whole camp of Israel through now what they're going to be entering into called the wilderness. Now, we pick up the story today in Exodus chapter 15. And similar to last week, it's a long passage, and so I've asked uh, a friend of mine, Johnny, to come up and read today's text for us. 
We'll also have the text up on the screen if you'd like to read along that way. But um, would you receive the word of God as you hear the word of God here read this morning? So, Johnny, come on up and uh, read for us Exodus chapter 15 into 16. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord God made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there are twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they camped there by the water. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation had the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the, so Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you should know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered, some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no, no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And, Mo and Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as they could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. 
And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there was no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today, a Sabbath, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Thank you, John. Friends, I know that's uh, that was a long passage, and um, just be glad that I didn't ask you to read. Okay, so thank you, Johnny. I appreciate it. Uh, part of friends, re- the, the reason why we're we're looking at the full text, um, and, and not just looking at portions of the text, is because you really can't grasp what's happening in the story if we pull just these little small bite-sized pieces. And so, for this series. Uh, as we look at these uh, Old Testament stories, I think it, it's helpful for us to get a big picture view of all that's happening around this text. And now as we look at today's text in particular, uh, I want to point out just two things specifically as it relates to life in the wilderness. Uh, the, the first is our tendency, and the second is God's activity. I want to I talk for a moment about our tendency and God's activity when we look at this text. When you think about life in the wilderness, I want you to think about your tendencies, my tendencies. What are your tendencies when you're going through a kind of wilderness? Uh, Secondly, I want to see through the eyes with wise wide open God's activity in the midst of our tendencies. But first, let me me camp out here for just a moment and, and talk about our tendencies in the wilderness. Our tendencies in the wilderness. You see... We have a certain tendency when we go through life in the wilderness. It shows up here in the Israelites. It shows up in your life. And it shows up in my life. Now, I don't know your life and I don't know the details of your life. But my guess is that if you have gone through any sort of wilderness experience in the ways that we described it just a few moments ago, my guess is that your tendency is not all that different from mine, which is not all that different from the Israelites. And to borrow the language from today's text, that tendency is very simply to grumble or to complain or to murmur or to gripe. In this text, the word grumble shows up nine different times. Your tendency, your tendency, my tendency in the wilderness is to grumble. Now, I don't know about you, but... When I read this passage, this, you know, for, for some of you, this might not be your first time reading this passage, but, but for me, when, whenever I come across this passage, I tend to get a little annoyed at the Israelites. All right? you know, like I tend to get a little perturbed, a little frustrated with the Israelites, because I say, come on, guys, like, seriously, God just, God just freed you from Egyptian captivity under the hand of Pharaoh, and you're going to sit here around, you're going to sit around and complain? God just led you through the Red Sea with a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night to remind you he's with you, he's for you, and, and now you're going to be out here sitting around and complaining? 
Like, what is that, you bunch of ungrateful, you know, bleepity bleeps, like you fill in the blank, like how, how dare you, right? Now, I, that, that's just me, okay? I get a little annoyed and frustrated with the Israelites here when I read the story. But then I put myself in their shoes, which is probably just a good habit to practice when you find yourself getting frustrated with people. It's good to practice empathy. You know, put, just put yourself in their shoes for just a moment. And here they are in the middle of nowhere. They've been traveling through the wilderness for days, and they have no water, right? That's what, that's what the end of chapter 15 was talking about. I can only imagine now the kind of panic that sets in in that moment, can I tell you, church, you know, there, there are moments of panic that I'm struck with when I'm eating a bag of pretzels and there's no water around. Yeah, as, as anyone, or, or corn chips that does the same thing, it feels like it just clumps up in a ball in my throat. And if there's no water around to wash it down, I panic. I think this is how I die by way of corn chips and by way of pretzels lodged in my throat. Now, now that, is, that is such a comical comparison to what the Israelites were going through during this moment. They're, they're journeying through the wilderness. You're going on three days now with no water, which, by the way, modern science believes that that's about the threshold in terms of how long one can survive, how long one can go without any water before delusion sets in, before physical symptoms begin to manifest. And so here they are, in the middle of nowhere, without any water in sight. Is that a reason to grumble? I'd say yeah, probably. <laughs> I'd, say, I'd say yeah, that, that's probably a fair, fair response. And then, and then we move into the next chapter, and then we read that it's been over a month now since they departed from Egypt. A month and 15 days to be exact. And now the complaint here is no longer about thirst, but it's about hunger. Now, we don't know exactly what their diet consisted of here uh, during this time, but you've got to remember, they're traveling by foot. And so they're, they're, not, they're not carrying around Costco-sized bags of chicken tenders in their suitcase. You know, they're not looking around Sam's Club groceries on the road uh, on their journey behind them. Food is minimal, if not virtually non-existent at this point. They're hungry. Again, reason to grumble? Yeah, probably. Probably. How many of us have ever gotten hangry before? We grumble on a, on a regular, right? Like when we're hungry, right? They're going a month and 15 days on this journey with no food in sight. Have there been moments in my life, times in my own sort of wilderness, have there been moments in my life where my instinctual response in that moment was one of grumbling, Times where it would, have, it would have even seemed appropriate to grumble or to complain. I'd say, yeah, probably. Probably. But can I show you, church, that there's actually a better alternative here, a better response to the wilderness seasons of our lives? You see, just because grumbling is our tendency does not make grumbling a good thing or the best thing. Because listen now, if you're going to respond, if your response in the wilderness, if your go-to response in the wilderness is grumbling, you know what's going to happen? Your perspective on reality gets skewed. Our grumbling often skews our perspective on our reality. 
Uh, I want you to look at what the Israelites say to Moses and Aaron in chapter 16, verse 2. In the midst of their grumbling, right? And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled. Remember, that's our tendency in the wilderness. And so they lean into their tendency. They begin to grumble, okay? Even if, that's a, even if that seems like an appropriate response, look at what begins to happen. They grumble against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, here's their skewed perspective on reality coming out from their grumbled state. They said, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. In other words, Moses, Aaron, why did you bring us out here? What is the meaning of this? We were better off living as slaves in Egypt. At least then we could have all the meat and the bread that we wanted and we can stuff ourselves like kings and queens. Newsflash. They were slaves. You know what that means? They ate like slaves. They didn't eat like kings and queens. And in fact, we know from the text, we didn't read it in today's text, but we know in prior texts that, that they were severely oppressed by Pharaoh and the Egyptians and, and the nation of Egypt. They, they were severely oppressed. And so they didn't eat like royalty. They didn't eat like kings and queens. They ate like slaves. But if all you know is grumbling in the wilderness, you begin to adopt a terribly skewed perspective on reality. Guys, do you remember back in Egypt, we ate like kings. We ate like queens, right? And so when we find ourselves in the wilderness of life and our go-to response is one of grumbling, we begin to say to ourselves, because I am going through this difficult season, God must not care about my situation. God must not care about me. God must not be with me. He must not be for me. I must be all alone and all by myself. I can't lean on anyone in the season. Not even God is trustworthy. Do you see how we go right back to the garden and the scripts that we spout out sound an awful lot like the serpent's? Our reality becomes terribly skewed when our go-to response in the wilderness is one of grumbling or complaining, or griping. I know there's no complainers in this room, because we're, we're good, good Christians, right? Like, there's no, there are no gripers here, no grumblers here, but in case, just in case there are, okay, let me give you a better alternative. What's the better response? Well, it's very simply, we must turn our grumbling into earnest prayer. We must turn our grumbling complaints into earnest prayer. Prayer. Listen to what verse 9 says. By the way, did you catch what Moses said? He said, you're grumbling. It's not against us. Guys, I, I didn't do this. Israelites, you're complaining to me, but your grumbling isn't against me. This is not my plan. My plan wasn't to, to lead Egypt out into the wilderness, and, and, and then little do they know, they're going to be in this state for 40 freaking years. You know, like they didn't know that, but that wasn't Moses' plan. He's like, your grumbling isn't against me. He's essentially saying, hey, Take it up with God. Bring your grumbling and turn it into prayers and petitions before God. And listen to what the text says in verse 9. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord. Come near before the Lord. In your moments of wilderness, in the moments of feelings of detachment of God, the thing that you need to do is not run further from God, but you need to come near 
before the Lord. Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. In other words, don't just sit around and complain, people, but bring your grumbling before the Lord and come near to him. Verse 10, and as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And this leads us now to God's activity. You see, this, this message would leave us utterly hopeless if all we acknowledged today was our tendency. We're a bunch of complainers, people. We can't help it. Have a great day. We'll see you next week. You know, I mean, I mean how terribly depressing. Without, that was no, there's, there's no hope in that, friends. The hope that we have in the wilderness is rooted squarely on God's activity in the wilderness. You see, the great lie that many of us tend to believe in the midst of the wilderness is that God is not active in the wilderness, that God is not doing anything in the wilderness, but that's precisely the opposite. Friends, if we learn to bring our desperate needs before God, God is so faithful and good to meet them. What was God's activity here? What was God up to? What was his, what was his thing that he was doing? Did you notice what God did upon hearing the grumbling of his people? He didn't leave them stranded in the wilderness. He didn't say, okay, enough, of the, enough with the grumbling, enough with the complaining. I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. I'm going to send you back to Egypt. The very thing that you're asking for, I'm going to send you back there. No, no, no. Did you notice what he did? He gave them exactly what they needed. But notice, he gave them exactly what they needed. He gave them exactly what what they need, and no more, no less. Folks, when we bring our needs before God, God has a way of meeting every one of those needs perfectly and precisely. He has a way of meeting every one of those needs perfectly and precisely. In fact, if you remember in the text, the, the Israelites, they got into some trouble here. They got into trouble for trying to save some of the leftovers for the day after. You know, they, they, they gathered together and they said, let's save some of this food. And they weren't doing this because they were trying to be good stewards of God's resources. We don't want this to go to waste. You know, if, you're, if you grew up with parents like me, they, you know, they, they, they didn't have parents that said, there, there are kids starving in Africa. You know, you're going to throw this food away. They, that was not the intention or the motive behind the saving of this food. They were nervous. They were afraid that they weren't going to have anything to eat for tomorrow. And in verse 20, we're told that the next morning that they woke up, they found that the food bred worms and it stank. By the way, I love that the Bible used the word stank. I don't know why. I just love that. It, 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 just, it just stank. It stank. It was awful. But then later on, right, after all of this, they try to save the food. They try to hoard the food. And then again, later on, the people do the very opposite now. They go out and search for food on the Sabbath. And they find none. Why? Because God was explicit in his instructions to gather food for days, days six and seven so that they can honor the Sabbath. Which, by the way, the Sabbath was intended to teach them the very same lesson that God was trying to teach the Israelites in the wilderness here in this very moment. And what was that lesson? God gives us exactly what we need when we need it. God gives us exactly what we need perfectly and precisely when we need it, no more, no less. Why does he do that? 
Why is that the lesson behind the Sabbath? Why is that the lesson behind this wilderness experience? Because he's trying to get us to answer the question that harkens back to the garden in Genesis 3. Do you trust God? Do you believe that he is able and faithful to provide for you in all the ways that he knows you need? Not in the ways that you think you need, but in all the ways that he knows you need. Do you believe that he is with you and that he is for you in the midst of your wilderness? Do you trust that he is actively at work in your lives during your wilderness experiences? You see, if once again, we, we talked about this last week, but if, we can, if, if there are seeds of doubt that begin to germinate and grow roots in our lives, guess what's going to happen? We're going to fall right back into our old tendencies. We're going to shift right back into grumbling, complaining, and murmuring, and griping. But again, guys, if there's a way that we can come near before the Lord, as Moses instructed Aaron to, to, to tell the people to do, come near before the Lord, pray, take your grumbling and turn it before earnest prayer and petition before the God, you've got to believe somewhere in that prayer process that God is able to meet those needs perfectly and precisely. Do you think that God was unaware of their need? When, 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 God, when, when, when the Israelites were going through Mara and, and in, at the end of chapter 15, that they were dying of thirst, that they were dying of hunger later on in chapter 16, do you think that God was aloof or unaware of their needs? No, no, no. You see, in the wilderness, again, we go back to this very basic principle. There are some lessons that God can only teach us in the wilderness. Folks, do you think that there was any testing of trust when they were living in Egypt and they were eating food and it was readily available and all these things? Sure, it might not have been in abundance, but, but hey, we don't have to trust God for this. I wonder how many of our lives are led in a way where we can go our whole lives without any trust in God. I wonder if you can live your life, if you can say, you know what, I can, I can truly live my life without any sort of trust in God. And to that I say, well, is that really a life that reflects the life of a Jesus follower? I'm not trying to get you to question your salvation or anything like that, but, but if I can just poke and prod a little bit and allow the Holy Spirit to just kind of speak to you however he will. But could it be that the lesson that God has wanted to teach us in our lives, whether it's in the wilderness or outside of the wilderness, is one where we say, God, I want to be aware of your activity. I don't want your activity to be overshadowed by my tendency, but I want to see, God, that you are active and working in my life. And even in the wilderness experience, I want to be able to say, I trust you. I trust you. I trust where you're leading me. I trust where you're taking me. And so... Let me ask you, church family, this morning, what do you do when you feel like you're going through a time of testing or trial, where you feel separated from God, where you're experiencing feelings of isolation, desolation, and great need? Is your tendency to grumble? And if so, what would happen if you shifted your grumbling to earnest prayer? to earn his petition, and to come near before the Lord in those moments. Well, I'll tell you what would happen. What would happen is you begin to discover God's hand at work in your lives. You would begin to see that God gives us exactly and precisely what we need for that day. Do you know why Jesus prayed 
and he taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. He didn't say, give us this day tomorrow's bread. Give us this day next week's bread. He said, give us this day our daily bread. Friends, the life of a Jesus follower is where we are gripping on with all of our might and saying, God, I trust you for today. I trust you for tomorrow. I trust you for the day after. I'm going to keep trusting you until my dying breath. My trust is in you and only you. See, what begins to happen in that moment, in that wilderness experience, is you begin to see God's activity and his hand at work in all these different kinds of ways that you would have never seen had you been sitting around and just grumbling. Friends, my hope and prayer in your coming days and the coming weeks ahead is that you would see that we have a God who is good and faithful. We have a trustworthy God who walks with us and journeys with us even in our wander years. Even in those years, even in those moments when we're wandering through the desert and wandering through the wilderness, God is with us. Church, won't you pray with me for a moment? Heavenly Father, it is so common and so easy for us to move into this place of complaining and griping uh, about our situations in life and where we are in life. It is, it is almost ingrained into us. It's almost instinctual that when we go through seasons of hardship and seasons of trial and, and difficulty, Lord, it's, it's so easy for us to respond with, why, God? This isn't cool. This is, this is not what I signed up for. Lord, I think about even in my own wilderness experiences that I, that I experienced just not even all that long ago. Lord, for as long as I've been walking with you, how, how easy it is for me to slip into that place where the Israelites slipped into. How easy it is for me when I when I realize, man, I, 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 I've been going three days without water. I've been going over a month without food. What, what is going on here? It, it's been a while since I feel like I've experienced you, God. It's, it's been a while since I feel like you've spoken to me, God. It's been a while since I feel like you've ministered to me. Lord, where are you? What, what is going on? Have you, have you forsaken me? And Lord, my lifetime of walking with you tells me otherwise, but in that moment, oh man, it takes everything in me to, to not give in to that lie, to not give in to that false reality that God, you have somehow forsaken me, that you have abandoned me, that you're not with me, that you're not active in that moment, that somehow you've released your hand from my life. And maybe there are some friends here today that need to be reminded of that truth. Maybe there are some friends here today that are in that same place where we're saying, man, it's been a while since I've experienced the presence of God in my life. It's been a while since I feel like God has said anything to me or spoken to me. Has, has God led me out of Egypt to die in the desert, in the wilderness? Is that what's happening here? 
Lord, I pray that you would cause us to be a praying people. Cause us to be a people that in those moments of question, in those moments of doubt, that we would bring all that and come near before the Lord and say, oh God, I'm having a hard time here. Would you come and speak to me? Would you come and minister to me by the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you come and meet me here in this moment? And God, I pray that the story of our lives, Lord, as we journey through our wilderness experiences, that we have a God who meets every single one of our needs perfectly and precisely. He is so good. He is so faithful that he gives us exactly what we need. And as a result, my trust in him continues to grow and grow and grow so that the next wilderness experience that I encounter, I won't be so rattled or shaken by the questions and doubts that creep up. But I can reflect and hearken back to those moments where God gave us exactly what I needed, what I, he, he met my need precisely and exactly the way that he knew how. And so God, here this morning, would you increase our faith? Would you blow up our faith in you? And cause us to be a people who say, I trust you, God. I trust you. I trust who you are. I trust what you say. And may we be a people that follow you in that way. We love you. God, we sing to you. We look to you. We worship you. We adore you. We exalt you here in this place. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.